Celtic stuff live. This is Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. I'm Justin Poole, and with me is John Duke, and the Celtics will have a Game 7 tonight, Monday night, with the draft lotto coming up tomorrow. Very, very exciting. Hopefully, there'll be a Game 1 just a couple of days after the draft lottery, and we can all keep this on a nice little run instead of waiting another month or month and a half into late June for draft night and then obviously free agency soon to follow. I'd like to see this season continue. I know everybody listening to this show would as well, John, but pretty interesting game. I Of all of the script, I guess, for every game in this series to date, Celtics go down big, can't win on the road, try to climb back in. This one was a back and forth. I really thought they were going to pull it out. It really seemed like really seemed like they would, and obviously John Wall just hits the most insane three pointer. Avery Bradley was right there on that play, just not enough of it. The hand needed to be a little bit more in his face, but you have to take your hat off. The guy hit a big shot. Yeah, I, I think that you've got in in that situation. There's been a lot of criticism for Avery. I think about not being close enough on Wall and not. You know, look, he's a 29% shooter. <laughs> if if that's not the shot you give John Wall, what shot do you give him? The the runner in the lane, the the shot from two feet away. I mean, we've seen what John Wall can do with a full head of steam. Head, of, you know, there's just that's not the shot you want. That's the shot he wants. Um, you know, yeah, it's great. He takes the shot. It wins the game. Great. Tip your cap to him. Move on. You know, I, I understand that people are feeling. You know, I think especially on Saturday, Friday night, and Saturday, there's a lot of a lot of hurt feelings. And hey, look, I get it. You know, people wanted to see the Celtics win. We want to see, you know, you know, clinch it, and move on, and all that. But look, let's be honest. I mean, you've got a situation where you've got one of the best guys at going to the back. There may be it may be him and Westbrook, one two in terms of the ability to go from twenty five feet away and get to the bucket, and and no one be the wiser. That may be the list right there. Westbrook. Let's put LeBron, LeBron, Wall, and Westbrook. I'm not sure anybody else does it better than those three. And well, and I'll tell you're, you, this you're going to ask you're going to ask Bradley to 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 play up on him. I mean, look, that's a good way for him to drive and kick to a much better shooter. And there was time for that shot without question. Yeah, there was. There was plenty of time. And as a matter of fact, there was one less second for the Celtics. And, and really, there, if they had needed <laughs> yeah. an extra second, it was there. It just wasn't given to the Seas. I'm not really all that upset about that either. I think they would have been they, – they had a foul to give. So, you know, the, the way that that all went down, it's a little tough. But – I will say this. You, I, of all the games that have frustrated me at points in this series, this one was the least frustrating. I really enjoyed the back and forth. I liked that it was pretty close for the most part, most of the way. It was, it was a battle and I thought the Celtics played pretty well. And you look at Avery Bradley backs up a great performance in game five with another 27 points. Al Horford continues to have a pretty excellent run. Was it his best game? No, but he still puts up 26 and three and you don't see any kind of lack of aggressiveness. Isaiah has been struggling, but he had a nice night. I thought, uh, Amir Johnson starting lineup. We can debate that till the cows come home. But even Jay Crowder was flirting a little bit with a triple-double. I still have criticism for Jay mostly for not getting aggressive enough in the paint. I still see him. Well, he's shooting threes, and he's really just struggling to make three-point shots. Now, you know how long will that continue? I don't know. He only went one for four in game six, but he was three for nine from the field. But he has a pretty difficult matchup, too. I mean, a lot of times he winds up defending Markeith Morris. And to your point, Bradley has had chased Wall around all game long. I don't think you can get too mad at him should he played a little bit closer or whatever. He played him all game long. He might have just – it wouldn't be surprising if he just was a step slow, too. Maybe he wanted to guard closer. You have to, as you just said – with John Wall, you have to give it to him. The guy hit a big shot, 
and he could have he could have created something else for himself or somebody else and that game i guess the, probably the biggest reason people are frustrated is because it was a three pointer so it took the lead if you gave him the lane the best he could have done was tie it and there still might have been some time on the clock to get a game winner worst case scenario go to overtime but you got to like your chances with a deep three it's not like he was sitting right on the line I think that, yeah, and I think that that's, it, that was a long shot. I think I, my own personal s- s- thought is there was a lot of time left. He thought, Brad, you know, Wall's going to take this shot with zero time remaining. He's going to get a, he's going to get something going to the basket or a 15 footer, and that's their best chance to win. I mean, I don't think that's crazy to think that the guy's going to try to take the best shot. He's not going to take the shot where he's 29%. They're going to take the shot where he's 45 or 50%. That's where he's going to shoot and has the ability to do so. And the t- as the other team's best player, the fact that he just spotted up from 25, 26 feet, you know, basically off the inbound pass, um, I don't, I think that took a Bradley off guard. And as you said, I think they're, you know, maybe you could criticize him for possibly being a bit unready, but I think, I think it's pick, I think it's picking nits at that point. You know, I mean, look, let's, let's, let's look at this for what it is. The Celtics have played badly in Washington for the last 12 12 months. They have not had a good good season of games in Washington. This game, they did what they had to do to get this game into a position where they could have won it. They figured out how Washington likes to blitz the pick and roll, minus that turnover Isaiah had uh, that everyone wants to talk about. They figured out how to defend this team generally. Um, you know, they held them to a, a, a probably a low, uh, you know, They've done what they've had to do in Washington, and, and they got to the point where they were one play away from from winning it, you know? And so, look, you're going to take a 30%, not even a 30% shooter from three is going to be the guy to turn it around. I mean, look, I'm just going to say, let's let's tip our cap to what the Celtics did, tip our cap to, to John Wall for what he his shot. But I like the trend line for the Boston Celtics. That's what I was just going to say. The trend, if you go back to Wednesday night's game, game five, we had an awesome post-game show. And as a matter of fact, I dumped off around midnight, I think, and it just (laughs) kept going, as I learned later. And Bobby Manning calling into the show, and I think uh, Nick Sacento and you, all the three of you must have carried it on for a while. But if you look at that game... The Celtics just dominated the whole way through. That was the first time that they'd really dominated in the postseason against the Wizards. And then, instead of getting their butts handed to them in Washington, they play a closely contested game. As long as they are healthy, which Avery Bradley appears to be now, and they have plenty of energy in the tank, which in a Game 7 is typically not an issue, and they've had plenty of rest, I, I also like their chances in game seven, but let's go back to game five real quick because that's the most recent, uh, I mean, that was another game that has happened since we last talked to you here on Celtics Stuff Live. They were just dominant at home. And mm-hmm. if they carry that over to game seven, and I, I think Washington will have fight in them for sure, but if they play as well as they did in game five at home in front of that crowd in game seven, it's going to take a lot more than a miracle three-pointer at the buzzer for the Washington Wizards to take this one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the benches, neither bench came out strong, right? I mean, we've been seeing the the Wizards bench has played well at home all season long. Not so in game six. So it really was about the starters. And the Celtics starters, you know, Isaiah didn't shoot the well. The, the Celtics shot terribly. Right, the thirty percent in the first half, terrible shooting. Um, they couldn't get out of their own way in terms of shooting the ball. Yet they only were one point. It was a one point game at halftime. This game was winnable. They played a decent second half, not perfect. Didn't get any any contribu- contribution from the bench, and I think that was really the, the death knell for the Celtics. They didn't get enough of a bounce when when Wall went to the bench uh, at the end of the fourth, at the start of the fourth quarter. The Celtics didn't get that bounce they needed. And so while, you know, yes, IT got those five points there at the end, they really needed that little bit of cushion they could have gotten when Wall came out. If anything, actually, it kind of turned in the other direction and things started falling a bit towards Washington's way. So I think, you know, the ebbs and flows of game six, 
were really interesting, but it was re- it was much more a battle and even battle. I don't see that going into Game Seven. I see Game Seven being a situation where not only the Celtics. Uh, reserves going to play to their capacity in front of a home crowd, but I think the roof is going to going to come off the sucker tomorrow night, or I should say tonight here uh, at the TD Garden. I think the fans are going to be unbelievable. Lit. I think it's going to they're going to be lit, literally, and in a liquid uh, refreshment format, they will be lit in that way as well. It's going to be bananas. <laughs> a lot of people calling into work Tuesday morning. I was just going to say there's going to be there's going to be a <laughs> lot of small to medium sized business owners, you know, who, corporate, they don't care. There's going to be a lot of small and business small and medium sized business owners are going to be frustrated. Yep. But, uh, that the out, the events of game seven have, have slowed down their progress for the week. But hey, real quick, station identification, follow Celtics stuff live on Twitter at CSL underscore tweet live. You can follow your host, me at CSL underscore Justin. John's at CSL underscore Duke. The entire CLNS radio network is at CLNS radio and the Facebook page, facebook.com slash CLNS fans. Download the CLNS radio app for iOS and Android. Simply go to your app marketplace and search CLNS radio. CLNS radio's YouTube channel, which is just always driving great contact content youtube.com slash clns radio high definition full-length locker room interviews and the garden report with jared weiss we've actually seen uh our buddy nick gelso on the garden report quite a bit in this postseason and uh i i love seeing nick he's getting more and more polished john alongside jimmy toscano and and jared I think I think it's he's he's bringing back the old days, you know. He's 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 at this point, you know, he's gone to corporate, right? He's he's Mr. CLNS Radio. He's you know he's done all this, and you know now you know we remember the early days of Nick Gelso, uh, you know, podcast host. And, uh, you know, hey, listen, it's nice to see the guy come out of the boardroom and come back behind the mic. It's great to have him back out there. Yeah, yeah, no doubt it is. Excellent businessman, though, the way he's driving this uh, CLNS, I guess CLNS media now, uh, moving forward. So good that he's actively involved in the nuts and bolts of it and enjoying, you know, some of the uh, – or reaping the benefits of the hard work and being able to go to those games. So let – I don't know if we even want to chime in on the whole wearing black thing. I feel like – I feel like we should briefly – I did yeah. not like it the minute I heard about it. I thought to myself, <laughs> "Now, well, you're you're going to have to win this game, and if you and it, it's kind of a good way to psych yourself up because I think they're not stupid. They knew that that's kind of <laughs> that was going to be the criticism. If they're going to do that, they have to play like it. So on that side of things, they did play like it. I don't I don't think we got a lackluster effort from the Celtics. It's unfortunate they didn't win, but if they were trying to motivate themselves by essentially doing the Babe Ruth and pointing for the fences, then it worked. It didn't work enough to win the game, but I didn't like it just because I, I did think it was a little petty. Honestly, John, I thought it was a little petty. Well, you know, I <sighs> You know, I, I I guess I come from a couple different places on it. One, I think that it's great that they – I like the fact that they had confidence going to game six. That was the what it said to me most of all. It's like, okay, you know what? We're ready to play this game. We're ready to go. We've we've done all we can. We've – you know, we're ready. We know what we need to do to win this game. And on that score, I don't think they came, they came short. Yes, they lost the game, but they didn't play like they played – Throughout all of those, yeah, if they had laid an egg, battles, we'd be blasting right. them right now. It, right, right. I, I think to me that's that's an important distinction to make. It's not like oh, we're going to be tough. We're going to and then just not show up. That's a different story. They showed up. They showed up, you know, and and did what they had to do. And they had a close game on the road, game six. I mean, the the, <laughs> the odds were in their really, favor. Really, a game they should have won. They were the driver's seat with just a little yeah. over a minute remaining. Absolutely. So on that end, I don't like it. You know, I, I, it doesn't bother me too much because I think it speaks to their, you know, where they are. The other piece of it though that bothers me is it, it does open the door for, you know, 
the whole thing with the the Wizards doing this in in winter looked so stupid to begin with. A regular season game in January to do this, right? I mean, come on, okay. Playoffs, I get. It's there's 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 a there's a high higher status to what we're talking about here. But then for Wizard, the well, Wizards, that's precisely kinda, why the Celtics thought it was okay, right? Well, because yeah. that was a meaning. Suppose I don't want to say meaningless. But essentially, they, the Wizards were on a run at the time, and so they were definitely feeling it, and they were going after it, and they were just building their confidence. But it was, as you say, a fairly meaningless mid-season game. And, yeah. And yeah. you're right. For the postseason to try to motivate, do whatever you can, scrap, claw, it is a little bit more acceptable. I think so. And I think that they – so. Bring that, bring that energy, bring that confidence to the game, no problem. I think where things, what bothers me about it is one, okay, you lose the game and you're going to hear the criticism. And I feel like they should have been a little more upfront about the fact, yeah, we wore it. You know, we felt confident going in. We still feel confident going into game seven. It doesn't change anything. We want it. We want to send these guys home. That's the, that's the answer. That's what you say. Instead, it was, you know, the whole thing. Well, we weren't so, you know, no, who, no one knew about it. And, you know, it's just, it, it was a little weird. It was a little weak on that end. But look, these guys aren't. Oh, you mean you don't like that they didn't stand behind it? Yeah, I yeah, felt like Yeah, yeah, if you're going to go alpha, you got to just throw it right out there and be like, like yep. yeah, you know what? We did it and you know, hey, we lost, but we 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 still believe we're going to take these guys down in 7 and and that's what it, this is about. We're confident in ourselves. I think that's where they should have gone with it. But what bothers me most about all this are the are the people after the fact, one who said this had anything to do with the game, and then two, those after the after the game who were criticizing the Celtics for doing it, particularly Wizards fans who or the Wizards themselves, like Markeith Morris, saying that the Cel- that this was something that the Wizards were proving that they wanted to be like that the Celtics wanted to be like the Wizards. No, 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 no. Don't get it twisted, my man. I mean, what's going on here is this is a real game in which you were playing was a regular season game that was meaningless. You know, and you know to somehow say, well, ha ha ha, the, the Celtics look, you know, kind of, you know, studio gangsters is what I, you know, what I've heard a lot. You know, kind of, they're not really, you know, about that life. You know, to use Jimmy Butler's comments, um, look. <laughs> what do you suppose? I mean, look, they lost. It happens, but you know, the Wizards did this in a meaningless game in January. Like you can't, you can't. Yeah, throw this was a, a shot back across the bow. Absolutely, and, but you know what? The, think about the talk. I mean, last time it was Gortat talking smack about you know the Celtics and um, not not being tough enough. Right? Isn't that what he said? He's basically saying. What did Gortat say after game two or game three? I can't remember. Was it the, you mean the Bradley stuff where he was saying yeah. that Bradley, Bradley, um, you know, so Bradley was going to, you know, Bradley said if, if, you know, if he screened him again like that, he was going right. to go through him or right. something like there that. We go. Yeah. He was going to, you know, you, um, F him up, I suppose, is what the words were. But there's and, a lot uh, of talk in this series. I mean, their rivalry. Yeah. I don't think it's really not contrived. No, this is what it was. Gortat they, basically said it wasn't a rivalry, and the Celtics yeah. were creating it. That's what it was. I, was. I lost my train of thought there for a second, but that was his shot. It was like, oh yeah, it's not. It's not really. Yeah. Uh, it's not really a rivalry. And then here we have Morris saying, "Well, they just want to be like us." So they're they're sort of manufacturing this way of elevating themselves above the Celtics, which I, which I think is pretty interesting, uh, the whole smack talk. And the Celtics instead say, we're just going to keep our mouths shut, but we're going to wear black and be like, keep talking, boys, keep talking. I know everybody's talking in this series, but but about that, you know, that particular getting ready for game six, they did get questioned extensively before the game. I still think it's petty. But I think you do whatever you got to do to try to get up for a game. I do think the Celtics are going to crush in Game Seven. I really do. But the but the question is going to come down a little bit. Speaking of not about that life, to Marcus Smart because <laughs> we've got to get a performance out of this guy. He's got to get back on track. I felt like Game Six was going to be that game. I, I wrote, I tweeted uh, that night. I, I felt like I was on a good roll there with tweets. That was one that didn't come true Friday night. I 
felt like he's starting to get his confidence back. And then he got to the foul line. He missed either one of two or both free throws. I think it was one of two. And that's where I, I, I that his confidence has shown to me to be inside the biggest, um, the biggest gap right now is he's going to the foul line without any sort of confidence at all. And that's something that's not Marcus like that we've seen him, you know, throughout his career. He's actually shot the ball pretty well, um, from the stripe and. The, he's also just, shot well in the post, and he's having the same yeah. issue. He's like coming up a little, maybe I'd say a foot to two feet shy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know he doesn't throw down thunderous dunks, but he does tend to finish a lot closer to the rim, and he really pauses to go inside. And listen, I think Morris and Gortat are good defenders, but they're not that good that when Marcus is in one-on-one and he's he's already gotten around his man, and the and the big is just sliding over to 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 block room. He shouldn't pull. He doesn't pull up though. Like if he pulled up into a jumper and just did it, that'd be different too. But it, he kind of goes into awkward form and then doesn't know what he's. He kind of looks a little bit more like Jalen Brown when Jalen drives into traffic than he does <laughs> Marcus Smart, who has posted up big men that got four or five inches on him. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I mean it. it it's it's between the ears right now for him. It really is. I mean, I, he's just defensively and, and the hustle plays, he's still making them with 75% of the regularity that we saw throughout the regular season. But offensively, he's he's really in a funk. Uh, he's still making some, some nice passes here and there, but it's just we haven't seen that breakout performance. And I, and I think it's going to be – it's going to need to be something at home. Right now, I think he's going to need uh, that home crowd to urge him on. Although, you know, to his credit, he's actually been a guy who's done a lot of his best performances on the road. Certainly in Oklahoma City, as we've known, Houston, uh, Dallas. I mean, all the you know when he plays close to his home, his real home, he's played even better. Obviously, that's not happening in this series. I, I just we're waiting for that that situation for him to come in the game. And really take over. I don't know if it's the pressure. I don't know if it's his role is minimized and, and because of what's going on. And we've, we talked quite a bit about this in our show last week. You know, they're blitzing IT and then he's got to make a pass and find a guy who can shoot and make a basket, right? It's, it's pass, pass or rescreen and then pass out of it and find somebody who can, who can create or, um, or even there's a lot of back screening going on. Um, that's not great because it's it it's one it's it, it's a situation that's tailor made for Avery Bradley to get the ball or or Crowder to be open and unfortunately both in both scenarios you're you're asking Marcus to really not do either not do the creating which is what he's best at in an offensive set you're really forcing him to be you know kind of just a guy and if he's the spot up guy that's not the place that Marcus Smart feels most comfortable and for a guy who's whose confidence might be a little bit waning, um, or certainly not not at its highest point. It's not helpful in any respect. No, and it would. You know, I don't want to go back to the whole needing a big man thing, but mm-hmm. boy, wouldn't it be nice if they had a big man? Amir, <laughs> I, I, he he did have a nice game five. There's no doubt he had a decent game five, but boy, if they could have somebody just who could shoot a little bit and be a good defender in the post. And I'm not, I, I know Al Horford's providing that, but I'm thinking a slightly different skill set. But man, if they could just, it's the small lineup that forces Marcus into that situation you just described. He, you know, instead of just engineering the second unit, he has to be out there with the first unit a lot more than maybe they would like. And he's, he, we've talked about it all season. He's essentially playing out of position. And cause, as you mentioned, he's not creating. And he, he really needs to, he does need to be in that creator role. He needs to have a shooter next to him. We've loved the Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier combination when they're anchoring that second unit, which is supposed to be one of the biggest strengths in this series against the Washington Wizards. And it's dwindling a little bit there. It's, it's sort of surprising the way that it's dwindling. And Terry Rozier finally didn't have a great game in game six either. Right. No, you're absolutely right. It's been, 
and he actually didn't have a great game five. To, you know, Terry has not, did not play with the same, the same level of, of ability. Uh, he got pulled out once, uh, in game five for, uh, a blown assignment. Well, it was the blown layup actually is what did he, he came and they were, and well he's had ahead, several of those, but he had the layup where he tried to get far too fancy and something Celtics fans were becoming all too accustomed with and quick hook. <laughs> and I hope that, that, that didn't, you know, kind of pull Terry off his game permanently, uh, you know, that hook, but you know, look, you gotta, you gotta understand the situation and I, that's what Brad's trying to do with him. So we need, you know, the, the Celtics need to have him back in game seven to harass. He's been so effective in this series. Uh, I'm not sure he will be as effective if they were able to move on against Cleveland because I think of the size of Cleveland's guards is, is going to be a problem for them. Uh, but or a problem for Terry's, uh, playing time. I think they're going to be looking much more to, to Jalen Brown, I think, but this is, yeah, and Harkin, and Harkin back to the beginning of the season when Jalen had a nice little early, early in the year performance against LeBron. And you know what? Maybe we, maybe we table right there. We're going to, uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll really preview game seven, some of our predictions, maybe look a little bit beyond that. We have to talk about the lottery and something else that happened on Sunday afternoon into the evening, the Kawhi Leonard ankle injuries, Zaza Pachulia sort of taking a few extra steps. And maybe there is uh, a double standard being set out there amongst the fan base between Al Horford and Zaza. So we're going to talk about that when we come back in the second half. First, it's playoff season, and having the right players on the court will be the key to success. That sharp outside shooter or power rebounder can be the difference between winning and losing. Business? Not so different. Your company needs the right people to be the best. And where do you go to find the top talent? You can't find the best candidates by posting your job on just one site. You need to post on all of the top job sites. And now you can with ZipRecruiter. At ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with only a click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your position. That's why ZipRecruiter is different and unlike the other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates to find you. It finds them for you. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in less than 24 hours. No juggling, numerous emails or calls to your office. You simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes nationwide. And right now, our listeners can start forming their own winning team on ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. Try it for free today at ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. Okay, John, so right before we went to the break, we were sort of talking, maybe almost previewing Game 7, really breaking down the performance of the bench and who needs to step up. But do you have any predictions for Game 7, how you think this will go down? I know we kind of already said you thought that it would be off the hook and the fan base would be lit and then that would drive them to a win. And I, I tend to agree, but are there any players that you think or, or a player that we really need to see step up that'll help bring this one home? Well, first of all, I, I want to say that because it's off the hook and it's lit, we're really trying to appeal to our younger demographic. So uh, I hope the kids enjoy that. <laughs> Nobody would know uh, I'm in my forties. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, well, so yeah, I mean, the, the, <laughs> we were not off the chain. We were lit, uh, kids. Um, anyway, no, I think that there's a lot there like, uh, going into game seven. We talked a little bit about Rosier. We talked smart. We talked not so much about Brown. I think the bench generally is going to have to step up, but the one guy that I think that has done the most damage for the Celtics looking at this the totality of this series, but in particular the home games, has been Kelly Olenek. Kelly has been matched up with either Jan Mahinmi later in the series, earlier on with Jason Smith, who's a little slowed with um, a calf injury. And in, in all of those instances, Kelly's been able to use his versatility offensively to really punish 
the Wizards in those those bench lineups, either in uh, hitting threes and kind of pulling the pulling them from the basket, or putting the ball on the floor and kind of driving on on the slower defenders. He's done really well in in punishing the the Wizards' defense in that manner. In Game six in particular, there was a lot of hesitancy in Kelly, which is never a good sign. That's something you, we all, almost from the moment he steps on the court, you can tell how from he's feeling. From the moment feeling he misses how his going. first three pointer. Absolutely. That, that, that first shot, and we talked, I know, I think we talked about this last season too, but sure. I know that this has come up a couple of times and, and definitely this year. If he misses that first three-pointer, it's a tone setter. If that drops like rain, it is all done. He all of a sudden is going out there. To your point, too, it says something that on that final possession with just a few seconds left, they're lobbing it in because he's had some creative finishes around the rim in this series. And when he gets that first that first three-pointer, if that one's wet, then all of a sudden he also plays much better in the post. Totally, totally, yeah. And you know, I'd almost love to try to get him some shots closer to the basket, so he's feeling it a little bit more. Um, you know, whether it's matched up with Morris or or kind of in a switch there on on Jan Mahinmi or what have you. You know, get him at the high post and let him kind of put on the floor and get a step on one of those guys. I think it, it'd work out well for him. They they need a a, a powerful. Okay, very powerful is overselling. But they need a confident Kelly Olenek in Game 7. They need him to say, look, I know what I'm capable of. I know what I can do. You know, the double clutching on the pass to the corner, that type of stuff is just it, – it kills the flow of the offense. It kills where they're going. There's a lot of people out there – I mean, we've heard from them ever since the guy's been here who've – been unimpressed with Kelly Olenek's game and do not see any value in in what he provides. And I think that's short-sighted. I think Kelly has a world of ability. He's a much better defensive player than people give him credit for. But his his maddening inconsistency is the real the real culprit of of his issues. And when he plays well, he plays fantastic. And when he doesn't play well, you would be surprised that he's even a basketball player. Well, it's so the hesitation. We need the good Kelly. Yeah, and it's the hesitation. The only time I would, one of my things for Kelly would be if you're hesitating on the shot, then make it a full pump fake, show and go, and go right into the lane. If you're not taking the shot. Then, then just pump fake and go. Because what kills is when he hesitates and then he doesn't make a pass, he doesn't make a pump fake, he doesn't shoot the ball, and he doesn't drive. It really stagnates the entire offense because it should be a more confident threat. And it should look like Kelly is the one who's making the choice not to shoot the ball. But really, what it looks like when he hesitates like that is that Washington got into his head and I think it actually makes them feel confident because you're supposed to close him out and they're going to stop closing him out if they see hesitancy when he's open enough to shoot it. Totally. Totally. And he, and, and, the, and as you said, this is not, this is not something that the, the Wizards defense has figured out Kelly Olenek. They have no idea what to do with Kelly Olenek. The only, this is going to sound ridiculous. I'm probably going to take, Take a lot of crap for this later on. But the only person <laughs> who stops Kelly Olynyk often is Kelly Olynyk himself, and I think that's ultimately true. The best defender is the, is him, and if he's playing to his capacity, how often do you see defenders house him? I mean, you really don't see that happen very often. I mean, certainly defensively, there are times he's you know, overpowered or shows no effort, particularly on the boards, and you're just like, well, that's Kelly, and you, you shrug your shoulders. But offensively, there's very few players who can can stop him because of the array of of ability that he has and the scope of his game. I don't know what that means for him in free agency, but I think that he, in this series in particular, but also maybe in the next series, if they are lucky enough to uh, to move ahead here in Game 7 tonight, I think he's he is a guy who is an X factor that very few teams have an answer for. It's almost like he thinks he's supposed to make every shot or he's letting the team down. It's almost like he takes it so serious and... Ultimately, I don't care if he misses stuff at the rim as long as he's a threat in there. He forgets that, I think, or he doesn't realize that 
Think about a couple of times earlier in the series when they threw the ball over the top of the defense, and then he had all these creative finishes. Well, now Washington can't just sag off and and load up on the perimeter like they like to do. And that's where that needs to keep coming up. They need to do that more and more and more. And and when he is, even if he misses, it's what it sets up for Isaiah. It's what it, you know, you talked a lot about the back screens, but having him underneath there and then running an action along the baseline, you know, just to get some threat down low and, and a couple of different passes that might go in that way, That that that's what opens up everything on the perimeter. It collapses the defense. He has to do that. And nobody's asking him, you know, hey, the bounce is real to throw down monstrous dunks, right? They just be a threat. Be a threat down there. Mm-hmm. And and don't – I would just – that would be my only advice to Kelly. I have a feeling he gets down on himself. Why don't we talk a little bit about what might be coming up on Tuesday uh, or what might be the outcome of Tuesday's draft lottery in just a second – but just real quick, John, how do you think this goes in Game 7? I'm going to predict uh, that the Celtics, it's really close all the way to the last four minutes, and then I actually think they pull away and have it in hand with maybe about 90 seconds to two minutes left on the clock. Okay, so let's let's take a, a very quick, short pat on the back for you and I. We call this as a seven-game series from the jump. Um we saw this going the whole way, and I, and I remember you and I talking about the fact that, look, they could win this in six. They could win it in five, and I think, you know, had things gone a different way, they they might have. Um, but winning it in, in Washington was going to be hard, and, and I think some of those who want to criticize the Celtics for not having pulled it out on uh, on Friday night are not appreciative of how good Washington is at home. And one of the best records – in all of basketball, particularly since uh, January 1st. I mean, they have one of the best records, especially home records in, in all of basketball. So this is a hard place to win a game. This is a front-running team that feels good at home, and the Celtics were, uh, a, a, <laughs> I'm going to say, a fluke three-point shot um, with with you know very little time remaining of, of winning this game. So where do I see this going? I think the Celtics are going to win. I think they're going to win big. I think it's going to be Geno time. I think that the, I think they're going to put the wood to the Washington Wizards. They, the Washington Wizards, acted like they won the championship on Friday night. They were so ebullient. They had the streamers coming down. John Walls sending out Instagrams and 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 all this stuff. And they feel like they've won. None of the, when I look at all their comments, I don't think any of them have mentioned game 7 since Friday night. I don't think anybody's talked about game 7. So, I think this is a situation where the Celtics are focused, laser focused. The fans are going to be on the Wizards. I think that, and they're not going to let up. I think this is going to be a big win. I think it's going to be Geno time, and we're going to be talking about LeBron James on our next show. Well, I certainly hope so. I have one concern, and that is that the calls may not go the Celtics' way in this home Ooh. this home game. And really? Yeah. Yep. And because sort of what you just talked about with John Wall, I think there is an exciting John Wall versus LeBron James storyline there. And and I know there's a little bit of spunk between the Celtics and LeBron, and LeBron said good things about Brad Stevens. We won't have a shortage of storylines if the Celtics go on and face the Cavs. And obviously the Celtics took the number one seed from the Cavaliers down the stretches. They were trying to get healthy for the postseason, and they've definitely kept their minutes down with two straight uh, sweeps in the first and second round. So the Cavs are positioned well that way. But I, I think there may be a little bit more of that, well, the best player on – the best player in this series, that team usually wins. There is a little sneak attack here I'm a little concerned about with the Celtics. I don't think they'll come out flat. I'm just saying – what if a couple of key players, what if Avery Bradley gets into foul trouble? What if Jay Crowder gets into foul trouble? The way that the bench is played, if they don't step up, it would take a lot of things for it to move that way. But but if those stars aligned, 
the bench doesn't improve and either uh, Jay Crowder or Avery Bradley get into foul trouble and then John Wall starts wreaking havoc and he's getting to the line at ease. As much as I've said use your fouls, that's not what I would do in Game 7. Yeah, I yeah, no, you, as you said, I mean, you, you can't account for what referees are going to do. Um, and I thought the officiating on um, – Friday night was not great at times. Uh, they called it tight, then they, they called it loose, and then they called it tightly. Um, you know, Gortat was picked up, you know, picked up some fouls that seemed to me were a little bit bizarre, um, given where he, where he stands and, and, but either way, I do think that the bench is going to have a much stronger role in this game. And I, I think if, if it's called tightly, that helps the Celtics. The more you see of um, Jalen Brown and and, and Olenek and Rozier, I think that's good for Boston because I think that means that one they've got they feel like they can play a little bit from behind uh, or not from behind but ahead. And I think the other piece of it is it means that they can get some rest for their starters, and so that when they're going up against the Wizard starters, which is a good starting five, we got to give them credit for what they are. They're a little bit more rested. They have a little bit more to them. You know, the Wizards used two-minute stretch there in the fourth quarter where they sat Wall. Other than that, he played the whole fourth quarter. And they closed the, the gap. Half. That was pretty key. They closed yep. the gap while he sat on the bench. It Gotta should have, have it should have been a moment where the Celtics pulled away and made it that much harder on him when he came back, and instead they left the door open. So that's how those things could happen in Game 7 for sure. All right, let's let's do this. Let's move on. Two more topics we want to hit. We'll talk about Kawhi and Zaza in a minute, but the uh, draft lottery is Tuesday night. The Celtics obviously have the best odds to get the number one pick. Wouldn't that be crazy to win a Game 7 on Monday or tonight? And the draft lottery then get the number one pick, and the next thing you know, it's in a series against Cleveland, and not only do you have, you know, the possibility, again, could be low, but possibility of going to the NBA Finals and then coming right out and taking the first overall selection, most likely Markel Fultz. That would be insane, and I know, John, you wanted to kind of talk a little bit about the quote from Chad Ford, which ties in very nicely with Lonzo Ball and that whole narrative. And you and I, neither of us have really been all that high on, on Lonzo Ball this season, but I'll just read the Chad Ford quote. Um, several agents told me that they were considering holding their clients out of workouts with the Boston Celtics as well. The Celtics currently have the best odds of winning the number one pick. Unlike the Kings, they have one of the most respected front offices and coaching staffs in the league. I have deep respect for the Celtics, one agent said. They may have the best GM and head coach in the league, but I'd have to understand what the plan would be for my client before I let them come. They are loaded at every position. There's a real danger that they take a player and either he plays a limited role off the bench or he becomes an asset to be traded to a situation that we're uncomfortable with. It's tough. And, John, I think it's the second half of that. I think... I think if that player is as good as they think that that player is, they'll they'll get playing time, right? And Markel Fultz is not going to have a problem getting playing time, I don't think. Yes, guard loaded, but he's tall, he's long, and they need another score. The bigger issue is, and this is a real one with the Celtics because of the whole idea that their offseason plans may have some trades involved after signing a max free agent, but that whole, well, or he becomes an asset to be traded to a situation that we're uncomfortable with. Everybody wants to control their destiny. I'll throw this back to you, especially as it relates to Lonzo Ball. His dad really trying to control his destiny and steer him to the Lakers. A lot of Celtics fans not loving Lonzo Ball as a pick either. But if he winds up being the best pick in this draft and the Celtics pass on him with the number one pick, you know it's going to come back that oh well they passed on him because he he uh he didn't want to play for the Celtics his dad wanted to stay in LA and the whole marketing thing that they've been setting up for the Ball family and and the brothers themselves 
Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that that's that. You know, everyone uses the L.A. thing. Oh, he want you know, Paul George. Oh, he wants to play in L.A. so nobody else should touch him. I mean, how many times have we seen L.A. used as a as a wedge to drive people different places? We saw with Marcus Aldridge. We saw it with KG. We see, you know, we hear this all the time. L.A. is almost the new New York. You know, it used to be until New York became such a dumpster fire of a team that everyone used the Knicks as, oh, the Knicks are interested. The Knicks are going to spend money. The Knicks are going to do this. And time and time again, we we see players and teams that they go away from the the Lakers. Now that could change now that that. Rob Polinka is running things with magic and, you know, they may have a, a much more competent, uh, group of, uh, of, of executives running things over there. But I just see LA used as such a, a wedge piece. Um, I don't think Danny Ainge is scared of that at all. I don't think he should be. I think he should take the best player available, whether it's Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, you know, Josh Jackson to Jason Tatum. It doesn't matter to me who it is. Um, I think you're, I think that there is a legit concern that the Celtics have, look, they, we know every option is on the table. There's one through a hundred options that Danny Ainge has, uh, available to him or, or possibilities available to him. Uh, and I don't know what direction they're going to go in, but look, if we're going to know a lot more after Tuesday night. Okay. Do you think I mean, the draft they, workouts are really going to have an influence in this draft? Or do you think not, the Celtics pretty much already know the order that they're most absolutely. likely in? The real concern is medical information, I think. Not that there's a yep. flag on anybody that they would draft. Harry Giles' medical info will will dictate a lot about where he goes, obviously. Mm-hmm. But as far as the top four guys in this draft, none of them really have any health concerns, any health risk or, in, or issue. So right. I'm not so sure that – I mean – I guess Tatum got a little bit of a slow start this season, but but due it's to really, injury though. What's that? It was due to it was due to injury though. No, that's I mean, my that point. Was, so as far as the yeah. medical information goes, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, there might yeah. be a question mark there, but it's a pretty low risk minor question mark. There's nobody that's really got no. major red flags that you may or may not want to take, and so I I you're going to want that info just to be safe, and they might be denied that info, but we also know in this league. That info tends to leak. I, I feel like there's some partnerships with medical information amongst clubs too. Well, and, and I would probably add to that that not only is there partnerships with with teams, there's partnerships with 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 particular agents too. So let's parse the comment, right? So they're saying this one agent says, "I have deep respect." For the Celtics, but they have, you know, they blah, 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 they're good, but they're loaded, and da, 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 da. And the top says several agents told me they were considering holding their, their, several agents were told they were considering holding their agents out. Now, that doesn't say that the Celtics, that they're holding out, that were the agents for Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, Jackson, and Tatum are. He's saying several agents of, they're holding their, their clients out. They're not saying that the top players. So, I think a lot of us were, were putting the, the two together. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. That's for the top guys. It might be guys for you know for guys like Giles for their, their second round picks because that's certainly a situation where later on you're going to have an issue. I'm just I guess my point is I'm not worried about if I'm the Celtics. If they're gonna, if they get number one, let's let's talk about what it means. If they get number one, it's Markel Fultz. End of story, right? And Markel Fultz is going to know what the deal is. They're not going to string him along like they did with, with Wiggins. You know, you know, that was the deal with Wiggins uh, going back, you know, to the Cleveland year where basically they get Wiggins and then all of a sudden it was like, well, don't get too comfortable, Andrew. <laughs> you know, and, and then of course the whole deal happens with, with Kevin Love, which was kind of a, an unfortunate situation. I don't think that's going to happen here, but the possibility exists. If it, if the, if it's two, three, or four, you know, there's a chance they might trade it. I mean, especially if it's three or four. But what are you going to do? I mean, you're going to go to the Bulls. You're going to go to Indiana. I mean, those are well-run franchises. It's not like you're going to send them to the Kings. 
So, you know, I just feel like this is much ado about nothing, quite frankly, and I don't think it's going to impact Danny Ainge one iota. He would have taken Porzingis without the medicals. He would have taken Embiid without, you know, even if he didn't get the the medicals. Um, he knows. He's seen these guys. If it this, if we were the Knicks and and we have a, a front office that doesn't do these sort of uh, checks of what needs to be done, I'd be a lot more concerned about this. But the Celtics do their homework. They know these guys. They've already met with Fultz uh, and did so last week. I'm not worried about this one bit. No, I'm not really worried about it either. The only thing I will say too, though, is interesting because we picked it up off the Comcast Sportsnet page as well. And they cited Jalen Brown and, and played minutes, et cetera. And, and yes, they are loaded and Jalen Brown did come off the bench this year, but he actually got quite a bit of significant minutes considering. Did he start and play, you know, 25 minutes a night, night in and night out? No, but he, every rookie has to go through an adjustment and it's typically that first off season when they really start to get their game where it needs to be to be in the pros. Any player who can walk in year one as a rookie and deserve playing time and really contribute isn't going to have a problem getting that with the Celtics. Any player who can come in and rock the NBA year one is not going to have a problem with playing time on the Celtics. Jalen Brown Mm -hmm. needs some polish. He needs some experience. We love the athleticism, but let's face it. I am really intrigued to see what he looks like when he comes back after his first offseason. And most players are that way, but there are a few that are electric. And when they come into the league, they're ready to go. And the Celtics aren't going to put somebody like that on the bench anyway. Well, and did you see the the uh, the comment that Jalen Brown made? I think it was after the Game 5 win. Where he's like, I would want to be any other place. I could go, I could have gone somewhere else and played a lot more, but being right here in, in the middle of a playoff battle and getting, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here greatly, um, you know, getting this, these minutes and being on this team in the Eastern, you know, on a, on a chance of getting to the Eastern Conference Finals, I wouldn't beat that. I, I couldn't top that anywhere else, you know, and so <laughs> that's, that's the and counterpoint to the player. Think about how those players, look at their usage rates when they go into the league and they just start taking a pounding. Look at Brandon Roy. I mean, that guy, I mean, I know is kind of unfortunate with his knees, but remember, he was incredible coming into the league. All of a sudden, he was rookie of the year, and, you know, he was lighting it up. But, I mean, I think there's something to be said for somebody like Jalen coming in when he's not quite 100% ready to contribute, not just taking the grind of the NBA season right out of the gate. We're actually saving some miles on him for when he's got a little added polish. And there's nothing wrong with that. And again, if there's a player, and I think Mark Fultz might be the only one I really look at and say fairly confidently, I know the defense is going to need some work, but if there's a player who can come into this squad right away and just light it up, even if it is a little bit heavily leaned towards the offense. That's what this team needs. He's going to play. It, playing time will not be an issue for a player such like that. So let's just go ahead and ask. You know, let's flip. Oh right, let's just jump right off of that. Oh, what if we boy. hear the Tommy Heights and uh? And I just want to shout. I, I want to make sure our listeners know that. We are going to record a podcast after the uh, draft lottery, so you'll be able to, to download that on Wednesday morning this week. So stay tuned, because if it is a Tommy Heinsohn, uh we'll have our reaction. I'm not sure that I'm all that worried about it. I, I'm not. I love Fultz, <laughs> but I'm not sold on Fultz being the end-all, be-all for the Celtics. What will be interesting is if they get the number two pick in light of what we were just talking about. I... I, you know, I would, I'd love to say that I'm, I, I, I'm going to be, oh, it's fine. No worries. You know, it's everything is fine. You know, we ended up with the fourth pick, which is the worst possible position. And oh, well, what can you do? And I'm going to be disappointed. I will. I mean, just because, you know, look, when you're, when you're in that, you know, we have that potential 
it's really hard. It's really hard to not kind of focus on that. Um, I, I, you know, I just, man, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard not to be disappointed, but listen, listen. Well, hold on. Wait, right. can I ask you why you would be disappointed? Because I'm just, I, I'm going to look at this from two different angles. One is, uh, screwed again. Which really maybe has no bearing on, you know, yeah, we want the, we want the, we want the ability, we want the Celtics to have the ability to make the choice that they want to make. The, pl- the best player that they see in this draft that they want to, they're going to be able to take them. Uh, maybe even there's some trade factor in there and we say we want the number one pick because that'll allow us to get a Paul George or a Jimmy Butler. But is it, is, are you really going to go, uh, and be disappointed because of the player you might not get? Or is it really just, we've been here so many times, you know, there was the, the Yi Jin Leon, Jeff Green draft and by God, it's happened again. Well, no, no, I, look, I, I'm, I'm done with all that fatalism crap that, that we saw, you know, most famously with Celtics, with the Red Sox fans. I mean, I don't, I don't do that. I don't, I don't, it, it's just that the, the avenues for the Celtics are so much better with the number one versus the number four. You know, making the trade with just the number one pick and one piece rather than the number four pick and several pieces, you know, to make a trade. Or just having the top choice to get whoever you want. I mean, it's just the the avenues are just so much easier. Does that mean Markel Fultz, if they take the pick, does that mean Markel Fultz is absolutely, without a question, going to be a better pro than Jason Tatum? No, it doesn't. But... I would much rather be in the position of having taken the number one pick and then, you know, seeing what happens rather than going to the number four pick and feeling like, okay, well, it might work. Might work out like Jalen Brown did with the guy with a lot of potential, but you know, we'll see. And maybe you trade it, maybe you don't. But if you get number one, things just kind of crystallize. They become a lot clearer. And I think, that's one thing I was really hoping for out of this is that it just the paths become clearer. And you know, look, I'm gonna do it. I I just I just hit Tankathon here. I hit the sim lottery, and just so you know, just so we're prepared for what's gonna happen, um Boston one, Phoenix two, Philly three, and Philly four. So if that's what that's happens insane. I'm that cool is with that. so insane. I'm cool. Think with about that just real quick with that though. All right, I, of course you're good with it. It's number one. I I do think and the, the Celtics are going to get. Pick, by yeah, the way, right under that scenario too. <laughs> which I, I I knew that which would be gorgeous, and I'm gonna and I want to talk about the two consecutive Philly picks in that scenario too. Except to say that the or first to say that I lost my train of thought. So. Well, I'll just talk about Philly, and then I'll think about the other. Oh, I think the Celtics are going to end up – I think they're going to get leapfrogged. And I, I think they're going to land at two or three. And more likely, I think they land at two. And then I'm just hoping that whoever leapfrogs likes Lonzo Ball. But the two Philly picks with the Lakers getting screwed in that deal, who do they select? Because most likely – the two best players available are going to be Josh Jackson and Jason Tatum. And when you look at the construct with Ben Simmons already on that roster and you just look at how they're made up, like they really want to be able to draft a guard. So if that lottery situation plays out and they get three and four and Ball and Fultz go one and two, how hilarious is that? And then are they going to look to somebody – like Darren Fox, you know, are they gonna, are they gonna make, and, and look, Fox is a great, is a good player, but I think the top four are pretty consensus. I don't think, you know, you might flip Tatum and, and Jackson, there's a few people who might do that, most people don't. But I think those top four are sort of like the locked four. I think everybody looks at it that there's a drop off at number five. So, that could make things really interesting if that tankathon result that you just got played out and it was Philly, Philly at three and four would be hilarious. It'd be great. Well, and, and if Boston, let's say, I think without question, it's Fultz's one. If Celtics get two, 
then you're right. Then you see, okay, who goes ahead of them? I think there are scenarios in which Fultz is not the pick. Um, you know, I think the Lakers, there's a possibility that, that Magic does fall in love with Lonzo Ball. Um, so I, I don't think it's You're beyond. You're my density. Right. Great. I mean, we're going to have to get that as a soundbite clip for the show because if we that are. does happen, that this, that, that will be as Fultz and Lonzo Ball go into the future uh, to revive the Celtics Lakers rivalry the you are my density clip will be our uh, our 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 guilty pleasure on Celtics yes. stuff live no question no question i yeah i mean if so I, yeah if if they go you know there's a potential that they pass over and they let faults drop right if philly goes 3 and 4 like that you got to feel like they're going to say look Boston, <laughs> let's make you an offer, right, to get up to two. Because, I mean, maybe not. Maybe they – I just feel like with Colangelo, they, he's worked with Ainge. There's got to be a trade there for Colangelo and Ainge to do that allows Boston to drop down to three, allows Philly to move up to two. They take their point guard. Boston gets one of those wings and something else. I can't imagine it's three and four would go for two, but who knows? Uh, that would be a wild trade. Maybe Boston has to throw more in to do that. But can you imagine if they get two and they trade to get three and four and okay, Boston so ends up with – We didn't leave <laughs> We didn't leave any time for the Kawhi Zaza, but I'm going to throw another one. What if it was two and smart for pick three and four? Would you do yeah, that? I would. Yeah. I would. I think that's – I think that – because then you've got – you've got size on the wing. You've got – I mean – Man, that's but I don't know that that maybe puts you a bit too young at that point to compete right now. I don't know. It's 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 a tough question. I think what you're probably you, more likely to get three. I don't and Okafor or three and I don't know. I I, mean, I think I think what happens is oof. you deal three and you still pull your Jimmy Butler and then you get. Yep. Tatum at four and you look at Brown at the two and Tatum at the three coming (laughs) off the bench. Right. And, and you, (laughs) and you flip number three, which is Josh Jackson in some sort of a Bradley deal, whatever. And you, you know, Bradley Crowder deal or whatever. And and you bring in Butler Butler. and then you basically have Tatum and, and Brown, you know, competing for minutes in the starting lineup slash off the bench bench at that wing, but with Brown likely getting the two. But see, so many things could happen there because if you get Paul George, Brown could play the two in the future. I'm not saying we get it next year, but you're obviously going to have to give up Bradley and Crowder and number three. You know, that's totally. you have to look at that. Uh, or you have to look at that as sort of being what would be expected from either club. But if you get Absolutely. Butler, he can still play the three. So if mm-hmm. Brown has a great off season and mm-hmm. he gets inserted into the starting lineup, it really doesn't matter. You know, well, the only difference would be that they might still stay small and you could almost get something crazy like Brown at the two, Tatum at the three and Paul George playing you know, the power forward alongside Horford at the five. Like, there's so many different things they can do with these versatile wings. It's amazing. The permutations of this are really endless. And that's, I mean, that's really what we're talking about, which is, I mean, there's, there's a hundred different ways that this can go (laughs) that are, that are, well, I think, and that's probably, there's a hundred different ways this could go. And all of them are to the positive for the Boston Celtics. Right. I mean, if you don't set your expectations that you're going to get the number one pick, right? You start, if you, if you start lower and you say, look, the most likely pick the Boston Celtics get is three. All right. The second most likely pick they, most likely pick they get is four. And then, you know, you kind of work your way through that. Then you're like, okay, well, you know, maybe it doesn't end up quite so bad. But if you're going to say it's going to be number one, it's going to be number one. You're likely disappointed by the odds, but, you know, if you look at the Celtics history, 
<laughs> Let's just run it through quick. 97, 2007, 2014, 2000. I mean, you look at those situations and every one of those self, it's until last year was the first time the Celtics actually got, did better in the lottery than they ever had, than they had before. First time that we waited at the commercial break as we were doing the show with bated breath saying, what is going to happen? And sure enough, you know, they end up with a third pick. I don't think it was, I don't think it's fatal. We haven't seen what Ben Simmons looks like, but that they got the third pick. In 48 hours from now, well, as we're recording this, we'll know exactly who that person is or who their options are. And the permutations become slightly less numerous, which is probably something a good thing for us trying to explain this to you over a podcast. <laughs> no doubt. And we're going to have to table Kawhi and Zaza because we've run out of time. But certainly there may be a double standard there. We could always revisit it uh, on our on our next show. But everybody enjoy Game 7 tonight, the draft lottery tomorrow night. And then we'll be back here on Wednesday to recap what I would consider two of the biggest events that will decide the Celtics short and long term. Uh, future. Are we going to be watching some more games? I certainly hope so. But that's going to do it for this week. The show will be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as CLNSRadio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. Big thanks to everybody for tuning in. You can support the show by subscribing to Celtics Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Please give us a rating and a review. Your feedback is important to us. And a reminder, today's show was brought to you by ZipRecruiter. They have a great deal for all of you listeners, but most importantly, you would be supporting our show, the entire CLNS Radio Network. And just thank you, as always, to the loyal audience who makes this all worthwhile. For staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and my co-host, John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.